welcome back to Bitching About the Mabinogion. This episode, we're going to read the third and last section of the story of Peredir, son of Evrok. So far, we've heard how ignorant of knighthood, he nevertheless managed to thoroughly defeat literally everyone he encountered. We've heard stories of him doing many good deeds for various people, culminating in eventually marrying the Empress of Constantinople and living with her for 14 years. We've encountered weird happenings from witches to giants to a bloody head and a bloody spear being brought in during dinner and no one explaining why. And on the whole, Peredia has shown himself to be the best of warriors and the flower of knighthood, or however it was that they phrased it. And we have actually reached the end of the story in some manuscripts, but in other manuscripts it continues thus. Arthur was in Kajlionarwisk, one of his chief courts, and in the middle of the hall floor sat four men on a mantle of brocaded silk, Owain son of Irian, and Gwathmai son of Guyar, and Hoel son of Emir Hlidau, and Peredir Baladurhir. Suddenly they saw a black, curly-haired maiden come in on a yellow mule, with rough reins in her hand urging the mule forward, and a rough, unfriendly look about her. Blacker were her face and her hands than the blackest iron daubed with pitch, and the colour was not the ugliest thing about her, but her shape. High cheeks and a sagging, baggy face, and a snub nose with flaring nostrils, and one eye mottled green and piercing, and the other black like jet sunk deep in her head. Long yellow teeth, yellower than the flowers of the broom, and her belly rising from her breastbone higher than her chin. Her backbone was shaped like a crutch. Her hips were broad and bony, but everything from there down was scrawny, except her feet and knees, which were stout. She greeted Arthur and all his retinue except Peredir. For him, she had angry, insolent words. Peredir, I will not greet you, for you are not worthy of it. Fate was blind when it gave you talent and fame. When you came to the court of the lame king, and when you saw there the young man carrying the sharpened spear, and from the tip of the spear a drop of blood streaming down to the young man's fist, and you saw other wonders there too, you did not question their meaning or their cause. And had you done so, the king would have recovered his health and held his kingdom in peace. But now there is conflict and combat, knights lost and wives left widowed and young girls unprovided for, and all that because of you. And then she said to Arthur, With your permission, lord, my home is far away from here, in the castle of pride. I do not know if you have heard of it. There are sixty-six knights and five hundred ordained knights there, each with the woman he loves best. And whoever wants to gain fame in arms and combat and conflict will do so there if he deserves it. But whoever wants the ultimate fame and admiration, I know where he can get that. There is a castle on a prominent mountain, and in it there's a maiden, and the castle is under siege. Whoever could set her free would receive the highest praise in the world. So that was a dramatic beginning. 
and with that she set off. Gwalchmai said, By my faith I will not sleep in peace until I know whether I can set the maiden free. And many of Arthur's retinue agreed with him. Peredir, however, said otherwise. By my faith I will not sleep in peace until I know the story and significance of the spear about which the black-haired maiden spoke. As everyone was getting ready, behold, a knight came to the gate, of the size and strength of a warrior, and equipped with horse and armour, and he came forward and greeted Arthur and all his retinue except for Gwalchmai. On the knight's shoulder there was a gold-chased shield with a cross-piece of blue azure, and his armour was the same colour as that. He said to Gwalchmai, You killed my lord through your deceit and treachery, and I will prove it to you. Gwalchmai got up. Here is my pledge against you, he said, either here or in a place of your choice that I am neither a deceiver nor a traitor. I want the combat between us to take place in front of my king. Gladly, said Gwalchmai. Go on ahead, I will follow you. The knight set off, and Gwalchmai got ready. He was offered many weapons, but he only wanted his own. Gwalchmai and Peredia armed themselves, and rode after him because of their friendship and the extent of their love for each other. But they did not continue together. Each went his own way. At daybreak, Gwalchmai came to a valley, and in the valley he could see a fort, and a large court inside the fort with very high, splendid turrets around it and he could see a knight coming out through the gate to hunt on a shiny black, wide-nostrilled, swift-moving palfrey, with a pace steady and stately, sure-footed and lively. He was the man who owned the court. Gwalchmai greeted him. "'May God be good to you, lord, and where do you come from?' "'I come from Arthur's court,' Gwalchmai said. "'Are you Arthur's man?' "'I am, by my faith,' said Gwalchmai. I have good advice for you, said the knight. I see that you are tired and weary. Go to the court, and stay there tonight if you want. I will, lord, and may God repay you. Take a ring as a sign to the gatekeeper, and make for that tower. A sister of mine is there. Gwalchmai came to the gate, and showed the ring, and made for the tower. When he arrived, there was a big fire blazing with a bright, tall, smokeless flame and a fair noble maiden sitting in a chair by the fire. The maiden was glad to see him, and welcomed him, and got up to meet him. And he went to sit next to the maiden. They had their dinner. After their dinner they engaged in pleasant conversation. As they were doing so, a handsome grey-haired man entered. "'You wretched whore,' he said. "'If you knew how wrong it is for you to sit and amuse yourself with that man, you would not do so.' He withdrew his head and left. Lord, said the maiden, if you take my advice you will secure the door in case the man has set a trap for you. Gwalchmai got up, but when he got to the door the man was with thirty others, fully armed, climbing up the tower. Gwalchmai used a gwith board so that no one could come up until the man returned from hunting. And then the earl arrived. What is this? he said. It's not right, said the grey-haired man, for the wretched girl over there to sit and drink until evening with the man who killed your father. He is Gwalchmai, son of Guyar. No more of this, said the earl. I will go inside. The earl made Gwalchmai welcome. Lord, he said, it was wrong of you to come to our court if you knew you had killed our father. Since we cannot avenge that, may God avenge it. 
Friend, said Gwelchmai, this is the situation. I came here neither to admit to killing your father nor to deny it. I am on a quest for Arthur and myself. However, I ask for a year's respite until I return from my quest, and then, on my word, I will come to this court to do one of two things, either to admit it or deny it. They granted him the respite gladly. He stayed there that night. The next day he set off. But the story says no more than that about Gwalchmai on this matter. Oh, cool! So we just had, like, a whole two-page divergence to follow Gwalchmai, but his story has no resolution. We have no idea what happens to Gwalchmai after that point. Cool. Fine. I guess that happened. Never mind. Let's return to our actual protagonist, shall we? Peredir went on his way. He wandered the island, searching for news about the black-haired maiden, but found none, and he came to land that he did not recognise in a river valley. As he was travelling through the valley, he could see a rider coming towards him with the mark of a priest on him. Peredir asked for his blessing. "'Miserable wretch,' he said, "'you do not deserve to receive a blessing, and it won't be of any use to you seeing that you are wearing armour on a day as exalted as this.' "'And what day is today?' said Peredir. Today is Good Friday. Do not chide me. I did not know. A year from today I set off from my country. Then he dismounted and led his horse by the bridle. He walked part of the highway until he came to a by-road, and he took the by-road through the forest. On the other side of the forest he could see a fort with no towers, and he could see signs of habitation in the fort. He made for the fort and at the gate of the fort he met the priest whom he had come across earlier. Peredia asked for his blessing. God's blessing on you, he said, and it is better to travel thus, and you shall stay with me tonight. And Peredia stayed the night. The next day Peredia asked permission to leave. Today is no day for anyone to travel. You shall stay with me today and tomorrow and the day after, and I will give you the best information that I can as to what you are looking for. The fourth day, Peredia asked permission to leave, and begged the priest to give him information about the Fortress of Wonders. As much as I know, I shall tell you. Cross the mountain over there, and on the far side of the mountain there is a river, and in the river valley there is the court of a king, and the king was there over Easter. And if you were to get news anywhere about the Fortress of Wonders, you will get it there. Then Peredia went on his way, and came to the river valley and he met a number of men going to hunt. He could see among the crowd a man of high rank. Peredir greeted him. He said, It is your choice, lord, either go to the court or come hunting with me, and I will send one of the retinue to entrust you to the care of one of my daughters who is there, so that you can take food and drink until I return from hunting, and if your business is one that I can help you with, then I will do so gladly. The king sent a short, yellow-haired lad with Peredir and when they came to the court, the lady had got up and was going to wash. Peredir approached, and she welcomed him warmly and made room for him next to her, and they ate their dinner. Whatever Peredir said to her, she would laugh out loud so that everyone in the court could hear. Then the short, yellow-haired lad said to the lady, By my faith, he said, if you have ever had a lover, then it was this squire, and if you have not had a lover, then your heart and head are set on him. The short, yellow-haired lad went to the king, 
and told him that it was most likely that the squire he had met was his daughter's lover. And if he is not her lover, I am sure he will be her lover very soon, unless you safeguard against it. What is your advice, lad? I advise you to set brave men on him and hold him, until you know it for sure. The king set men on Peredio to seize him and put him in prison. The maiden came to her father, and asked him why he had had the squire from Arthur's court imprisoned. God knows, he replied, he will not be set free tonight or tomorrow or the day after, and he will not be leaving where he is. She did not confront the king about what he had said, but went to the squire. Is it unpleasant for you being here? I would prefer it if I weren't, said Peredia. Ah, master of understatement. Your bed and your conditions will be no worse than the king's, and the best songs in the court you shall have at your command, and if you would prefer to have my bed here so that I could talk to you, you shall have that gladly. I will not object to that. He was a prisoner that night, and the maiden kept her promise to him. The next day, Peredia could hear a commotion in the town. Fair maiden, what is that commotion? The king's host and his army are coming to the town today. What do they want? There is an earl nearby, and he has two earldoms, and he is as strong as a king, and there will be battle between them today. I want you to arrange a horse and armour for me to go and look at the battle, said Peredir, and on my word I will return to my prison. Gladly, she replied, I'll arrange a horse and armour for you. She gave him a horse and armour, and a pure red cloak over his armour, and a yellow shield on his shoulder, and he went to the battle. Those of the earl's men who encountered him that day, he overthrew them all, and he returned to prison. She asked Peredia for news, but he did not utter a single word to her. She went to ask her father for news. She asked who of his retinue had performed best. He replied that he did not recognise him. He was a man with a pure red cloak over his armour, and a yellow shield on his shoulder. She smiled, and went to Peredia, and he was held in high regard that night. For three consecutive days Peredia killed the earl's men, and before anyone could find out who he was he would return to his prison. And on the fourth day Peredia killed the earl himself, and the maiden went to meet her father, and asked him for news. "'Good news,' said the king. "'The earl has been killed,' he said, "'and I now own both earldoms.' "'Do you know, lord, who killed him?' "'I do,' said the king." The knight with the pure red cloak and yellow shield killed him. Lord, she said, I know who he is. In God's name, he replied, who is he? Lord, he is the knight whom you imprisoned. The king went to Peredir and greeted him, and told him that he would pay him whatever he wanted for the service he had rendered. When they went to eat, Peredir was placed next to the king, and the maiden on the other side of Peredir. After eating, the king said to Peredir, I will give you my daughter in marriage, and half my kingdom with her, and the two earldoms I will give you as a wedding gift. May the Lord God repay you. I did not come here to look for a wife. So what are you seeking, Lord? I am seeking news of the Fortress of Wonders. The Lord's mind is on higher things than we expected, said the maiden. You shall have news of the Fortress, and someone to guide you through my father's land and plenty of food and drink, and you, Lord, are the man I love best. Then the king said to Peredir, 
Cross that mountain over there, and you will see a lake, and a fortress within the lake, and it is called the Fortress of Wonders. And we know nothing of its wonders, but that is what it's called. <clears throat> really? It's called the Fortress of Wonders. We don't know exactly why, but that's definitely its name. And Peredia came to the fortress, and the gate of the fortress was open. And when he came to the hall, the door was open. As he entered, he could see Gwithwith in the hall, and each of the two sides playing against the other. And the side he supported lost the game, and the other side shouted just as if they were men. He got angry, and took the pieces in his lap and threw the board into the lake. As he was doing so, behold, the black-haired maiden entered. May you not receive God's welcome, you do evil more often than good. Of what are you accusing me, black-haired maiden? You have made the empress lose her board, and she would not wish that for her empire. Is there a way to get the board back? There is, if you were to go to the fortress of Isbidanongal. There is a black-haired man there, destroying much of the empress's land. Kill him, and you would get the board. But if you go there, you will not come back alive. Will you guide me there? I will show you a way there. He came to the fortress of Isbidanongal, and fought the black-haired man. The black-haired man asked Peredir for mercy. I will be merciful. See that the board is where it was when I entered the hall. Then the black-haired maiden arrived. God's curse on you for your effort, for leaving alive the oppressor who is destroying the empress's land. I let him have his life, said Peredir, in order to get the board. The board is not where you found it. Go back and kill him. Peredir went and killed the man. When he came to the court, the black-haired maiden was there. Maiden, said Peredir, where is the empress? Between me and God, you will not see her again unless you kill an oppressor that is in the forest over there. What sort of oppressor is it? A stag, as swift as the swiftest bird, and there is one horn in his forehead as long as a spear shaft and as sharp as the sharpest thing, and he eats the tops of the trees and what grass there is in the forest, and he kills every animal he finds in the forest, and those he does not kill die of starvation. And worse than that, he comes every day and drinks the fish pond dry and leaves the fish exposed, and most of them die before it fills again with water. I see. He is the evilest unicorn. Maiden, said Peredir, will you come and show me this creature? No, I will not. No man has dared enter the forest for a year. There is the lady's lapdog. It will raise the stag and bring him to you and the stag will attack you. The lapdog went as Peredir's guide, and raised the stag, and brought it to Peredir, and the stag rushed at Peredir, but he let it charge past him, and cut off its head with the sword. As he was looking at the stag's head, he could see a lady on horseback coming towards him, and picking up the lapdog in the sleeve of her cape, and placing the stag's head between herself and the saddle-bow, together with the collar of red gold that was round its neck. Lord, she said, you did a discourteous thing, killing the most beautiful jewel in my land. I was told to do that. And is there any way I can win your friendship? Gotta say, Peretti, you're not showing a lot of critical thinking skills here. Yes, there is, said the lady. Go to the hillside, and there you will see a bush. And at the base of a bush there is a slab. 
and ask for a man to fight you three times, you would then have my friendship. Peredia went on his way and came to the edge of the bush and asked for a man to fight. A black-haired man arose from beneath the slab on a scraggy horse and big rusty armour on him and his horse, and they fought. As Peredia threw the black-haired man to the ground, he would jump up again into his saddle. Peredia dismounted and drew his sword. With that, the black man disappeared, and Peredia's horse and his own horse with him, so that he did not get a second glimpse of them. Peredia walked along the mountain, and on the other side of the mountain he could see a fortress in a river valley, and he approached the fortress. And as he entered the fortress he could see a hall, and the hall door open, and he entered. And he could see a lame, grey-haired man sitting at the end of the hall, with Gwalchmai sitting on one side of him. And he could see Peredia's horse in the same stall as Gwalchmai's horse. They made Peredia welcome, and he went to sit on the other side of the grey-haired man. With that, a yellow-haired lad went down on his knee before Peredia and asked him for his friendship. Lord, said the lad, I came in the guise of the black-haired maiden to Arthur's court, and when you threw away the gwith and when you killed the black-haired man from Isbenongal, and when you killed the stag, and when you fought against the black-haired man from the slab, and I brought the head on the salver, and all covered in blood, and the spear with the blood streaming along it from its tip to its hilt, and the head was your cousin's, and it was the witches of Kailoyal who killed him, and they made your uncle lame, and I am your cousin too, and it is foretold that you will avenge that. Peredir and Gwalchmai decided to send for Arthur and his retinue, to ask him to set upon the witches, and they began to fight the witches, and one of the witches killed one of Arthur's men in front of Peredir, and Peredir told her to stop. A second time the witch killed a man in front of Peredir, and a second time Peredir told her to stop. A third time the witch killed a man in front of Peredir, and Peredir drew his sword and struck the witch on top of her helmet so that the helmet and all the armour and the head were split in two. She gave a scream and told the other witches to flee, and said that it was Peredir, the man who had been learning horsemanship with them and who was fated to kill them. Then Arthur and his retinue attacked the witches, and all the witches of Kailoyal were killed. And that is what is told of the Fortress of Wonders. Well, that leaves a whole lot of plot threads unresolved. Um, cool. The fuck? The footnotes have no great wisdom to add. Uh, it's just like that. Well. So the tale of Peredir. Uh, it was kind of... It was cohesive for a while, and then there was that last segment. But it was also just a story of all of the side quests ever. And, you know, there's this repeating theme about Peredir and maidens of, you know, how he'll do this favour for one maiden or another, and then she'll love him, and she'll say, well, you know, I could marry you, and he'll be like, ah, oh, I'm not looking for a wife, and go off and find some other quest. And in the first section, he was defeating just about everybody he ever encountered, and there's all of these really strange moments, and he seems to be perfectly happy to accept what literally anybody says, and I had this revelation the other week that is Peredia a himbo? Like, this guy is well-meaning, very respectful of ladies, doesn't know shit, believes what he's told, but is just 
an incredibly good combatant. And I'm like, maybe he is. So we've reached the end of the story of Puredia. It hooks into a whole bunch of story tropes, but there's a lot of weirdness in there. One thing that you can see here, though, is this story shape of the questing knight that he goes out from his lands into unknown or strange territory and encounters strange things and is a guest at various places where he makes himself useful by defeating their enemies and helps various maidens. We even saw the the guy who defeats my enemy will be given half my kingdom and my daughter's hand in marriage, which I wasn't expecting to find here, but I guess it makes sense that it has to come from somewhere. Next time, we'll be starting off our fourth Arthurian tale, third drawing on the Anglo-French tradition, fourth one total. And that one is about Geraint. What's kind of interesting about these stories that link up with the Anglo-French tradition is that there are points where they have that courtly style, but they're clearly... They're not really trying for the Anglo-French courtly romance vibe. It's just not quite the same. Even though there are significant differences between these kind of stories and what we encountered in How Killoch Won Olwen, it's still... It's still not something that's trying to fit into that other genre. It's its own genre. Bitching About the Mabinogion is told by Gwen David and produced by Amanda Martell. Take care, and thanks for listening.